Mr. Neutron, more Dr. Drek, more me, and more Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. The song you heard at the very beginning of this is The Wedge from the band Mr. Neutron. Look them up on Facebook. This is from their album Red Triangle, and you're going to get to hear the song in its entirety at the end of the show. I'm excited because our conversation with Michael Leggy, the man behind the horror host, Dr. Drek, continues. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk with him about Poverty Row horror films, among other things, as is, I suspect, the case with most of you. You get a couple of monster kids to sit down and start chatting, and your conversation is going to go all over the monster map. Sure, we talk about Poverty Row horror, but we also talk about Karloff and Lugosi. At one point, we start talking about CGI effects not being as good as practical effects. Ray Harryhausen even comes up at one point. It's an awesome conversation. I had a lot of fun editing it. I had even more fun just having the conversation with Michael Ledgy. And I hope you guys and gals enjoy the result. After that, I'm going to come back to talk a little bit about another guest that's going to be at the Living Dead Horror Convention here in Portland, Oregon in November. It's the first one, hopefully the first annual. I'm going to be there. Well, I think that's probably evident at this point because I keep talking about it. Also, one final time, I'm going to play the promo for the Joy Cinema's Indiegogo campaign. I know, I've been playing the heck out of it. And that's because I love the Joy Cinema. And if you listen to Monster Kid Radio and you enjoy what we do, you love them too. Because they are the home to so many weird Wednesday Monster Kid Radio crashes. I've been able to introduce movies there and I record that for the show. The Joy Cinema has shared so much with Monster Kid Radio. I'm hoping we can give back just a little bit. And... Pay attention to the Indiegogo levels. One of those perks, if you kick in, you're going to get yourself a copy of the movie The Fantastic Argo Man on DVD, just for helping out the theater. But that's all after we talk to Michael Ledgy right after this. Recently, newspapers and magazines everywhere carried an amazing story. Reporters saw Dr. Manley Hall hypnotize actor Lugosi to give reality to a scene in Black Friday. Horror struck, they witnessed the hypnotized actor's mortal agony as Lugosi actually experienced the terror of suffocating to death in a closet. Let me out, please! I'm suffocating! sinister hand of science dares a new and dangerous experiment. Into the body of a gentle scholar is grafted the brain of a criminal, and a new and deadly monster is born to ravage an unsuspecting world. Big shot. Yeah. Fix it up, will you? How'd you get it? The coppers shot me. Only a scratch. How'd you get it? Well, don't ride me. It's your fault anyway. Fine. Yeah. We'll take the bucks. Go ahead and shoot. You want to dive 200 feet for it? Keep him covered. Seven decades ago, audiences were exposed to a new kind of cinema unleashed upon the silver screen, led by one of the most talented and interesting actors that the world of the living and the dead have ever seen. Listen to them. 
children of the night. What music they make. These films of fright had legions of heroes and fans who loved and continued to love them. But for many, one man stood above the rest. For one who has not lived even a single lifetime, you are a wise man, Ben Helsing. Now, after conquering stage, screen, radio, and television, he rises from his cinematic coffin to gain new blood on Vampire Over Hollywood, the podcast devoted to the king of classic movies of the macabre, Bela Lugosi. Hear strange insights, little-known facts, and details about all of Lugosi's films. She's dead only in the sense that you understand that word. I'm on the threshold of bringing her back a complete life. And you will be able to help. If you love Bela Lugosi, then succumb to the will of the vampire over Hollywood. For more information, visit VampireOverHollywood.com. Vampire Over Hollywood, your podcast devoted to the king of horror, Bela Lugosi. Pull the string. On stage, a new kind of horror show. Dr. Satan and his Shrieks in the Night. If you think you've seen horror shows before, we warn you, this new kind of show is completely unlike anything you have ever seen. The action takes place in the audience. You'll be surrounded by the most hideous horde of horror creatures ever to walk on the earth. You'll see, back from their graves, fiendish vampires who drink human blood, living corpses, werewolves, Ghost women, 1,001 nightmarish creatures. Girls, do you have the nerve to meet the invisible man? He puts his arms around you. You can't see him, but you feel his presence. What a new thrill. Dr. Satan hypnotizes everyone in the audience, including you. You'll see the slave maidens at the mercy of hideous beasts. Human sacrifices, death on the slab. So scary, your blood will run cold. Dr. Satan has appeared in person with and startled George Goble, Donald O'Connor, Orson Welles, Jack Bailey, Art Baker, and many others. Ed Johnson of the New York News wrote, At long last, I have seen a horror show even scarier than advertised. A horror show strictly in a class by itself. If it's thrills you want, thrills you'll get when you see Dr. Satan's Shrieks in the Night. It's brand new. It's brand new. Positively has never been shown at this theater before. Don't miss Dr. Satan's Shrieks in the Night. Plus a great screen program. Earlier we were talking about the different kind of movies that you like to show and the movies that you really love, and you mentioned the 30s and the 40s. And a lot of these lower-budget movies are sometimes referred to as poverty row horror. Yes. And, and you have a real draw, real fascination with these types of films. Well, for the obvious reasons, like I said before, but I just think they're ignored too much or they're just uh, passed over. And 
And I don't know about you, and I think a lot of people feel maybe feel this way. These old B-movies, for some reason, I can watch over and over and over again and acknowledge classics, which I love. Like, I love Citizen Kane, but I'm not going to watch it every year, you know? There's something about those short little horror films that are fascinating. They're like reading comic books or Pulp mm -hmm. Fiction or something. You just want to read them again and see if there's anything new that you see in them or something else you can appreciate or performance you might have missed that now it strikes you hey they did pretty well in that role you know some things you don't discover until later and then when you watch it again you say oh yeah i saw uh, valley of the zombies with ian keith in it and uh he was supposedly one of the people that was considered for dracula originally first time around oh wow, i didn't know that wow and i saw valley of the zombies and he plays a vampiric type of character uh-huh And when I was watching it, I said, yeah, you know, I could see him as Dracula. I mean, if that's what had happened, uh, he could have pulled it off. You know, nobody can replace Lugosi in my head, but, you know, you can see the uh, other people. Like, I never could personally imagine Lon Chaney Sr. as Dracula, even though that was supposed to be what was supposed to happen. Yeah, I have a hard time imagining that as well. I mean, you hear that over and over again. That's what they wanted to do, but I don't see it. I don't either. Uh, his looks, his voice and stuff. I mean, I did see The Unholy Three. We know what he sounded like. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't look exotic enough. Maybe he would have made himself up. I mean, obviously, he's sure. just a but I don't know. I never could, that never could uh, fit in my mind, seeing that as him as Dracula. The original Dracula is a classic. I watch it almost every year. But... You know, I, I see its flaws, obviously. The, the, the same flaws that everybody else does, that it gets more stage-bound as it goes along, and they talk about things when they should be showing things. And if I had a secret desire, I think it would be that Karl Freund directed the whole thing. I think it would have been more effective. I had this feeling that Todd Browning, when they cut his budget, and Janie died, that he just didn't care that much anymore at that point. And it seems to show in the movie where it just kind of gets glossed over. That's just my personal take on it, but... That's the way it kind of strikes me when I watch it. I could see that. I mean, it's a great film, and I don't think either one of us are saying that we don't like it, but oh, it no, does no. have its creaks, and it, it did age probably more so than it needed to in some spots. I mean, it is a little hard to sit through some of the, the long sitting in our drawing room talking scenes. But, yeah. uh, I mean, it's still a great film. But, man, I'm trying to imagine uh, somebody else other than Lugosi or Cheney playing Dracula. I just don't see it. No, me neither. It's, uh, I mean, Conrad Veidt, I think, was considered, uh, you know, you know, from the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm -hmm. And he had a good look. He could have probably done it, too. Yeah, um, he would he bring that exotic kind of feel to it. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. So, I mean, this, you, you always hear about things that were almost cast, like Claude Rains' Dr. Pretorius and things like that. Mm -hmm. Our uh, mutual acquaintance there, Nicholas Hatcher, mm -hmm. from Psychotronic Celluloid there. I agree with him on a later movie, the Black Friday, where they really botched that casting. They really did. It's so unfortunate, too. And I don't know how that happened or why that happened, but the, the excuse that Karloff couldn't play gangster is ridiculous. Yeah. Just seven years later, he's playing Gruesome, and Dick Tracy meets Gruesome playing a very effective gangster. Mm -hmm. So that made no sense. It would have been much more enjoyable to, to have Lugosi be the doctor instead and have Karloff be the guy that uh, turns into the gangster. Yeah. Nothing against Stanley Ridges, who was, you know, he did a wonderful job. But, I mean, you want to see the two classic guys together doing it, you know? Right. I mean, that's part of the reason why the Black Cat is so enjoyable, is to see the two of them on screen together at full bore. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the Raven, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said something earlier, then, and I, I do agree with you. We can watch something like Casablanca, Citizen Kane, and be amazed. And, yes, they're bona fide classics. But do you sit down and watch them over and over and over again? Uh, not really. But I will pull out my Mill Creek box set. I will go through my collection of horror host DVDs, and I'll watch those movies repeatedly. Yeah. And part of it's because they're so short. It makes it easy to digest yes. something like yes. Valley of the Zombies you mentioned earlier, which I really like. It's less than an hour long. So, I mean, it's not that much of an investment of time. And you're yeah. going to enjoy it because, like you said, you're going to find other things here and there along the way. Something like The Invisible Ghost, you're going to find things along the way that you might have missed before. And, I mean, it's just part of who we are, I think, as monster kids. That's what we're going to go to anyway. But they really do warrant repeated viewings. Every once in a while, I'm encouraged by somebody I, I meet who has a young uh, child, a uh, boy or a girl, who actually is interested in the old black and white movies. Oh, so I nice. just say, oh, there's hope. There's still some hope. Yeah. <laughs> some people don't even want to watch anything that's in black and white. I was a dumb kid who didn't. I used to give my mother grief for watching the Eternal Classic Movie Channel because I didn't understand when I was a yeah. dumb kid growing up. It's like, why do you want to watch something in black and white? If it's not color... If I could go back in time and kick that little Derek in the ass. <laughs> you don't understand, man. Uh, well, I didn't have any choice when I was growing up. All it was was the black and white TVs for <laughs> a long time and only five stations to choose from. Yeah. And you scoured the TV Guide Bible every week. Yes. You haven't seen. Yep. And I got all the times that my brother and I would sneak up late at night in the middle of the night to watch something on a school night. Parents never knew it as far as I know. Anyway, we never heard about it, but. Just, you know, you're sitting there half asleep trying to watch The Ghost of Frankenstein or something like that. Oh, man. I, I do think that every once in a while you'll run into somebody, a younger person, who's into these movies. Just yesterday, I was wearing uh, my, you know, I have a Universal Monster t-shirt that I wear to work on Fridays because even though it's not in the dress code, Friday's my t-shirt day, damn it. And, <laughs> and I had my Universal Monsters on there and I went up to lunch and went to the food court and this 20-year-old kid it's like, oh, I love those movies. Who said, oh, that's The Invisible Man. I love that movie. It's like, yeah, it just makes your heart feel good to know there's yes. at least somebody out there, a younger person, who digs these flicks. Yeah, yeah. And we've got, uh, well, I think the, you know, people have gotten jaded, newer generations gotten jaded with CGI effects. So they can't really appreciate like Ray Harryhausen seeing his films and stuff because they just don't look as realistic. But to me, with his models and stuff, you can still detect the human touch there. Right. You know, it's not a keyboard. A human being touched those things and moved them. And mm -hmm. I mean, I saw the seventh voyage of Sinbad in the theater when it first came out. And I was like stunned. Uh, whenever I was seven, eight years old, I'm, you know, it's like, Oh my God, look at these things. This is Dynamation. This is Dynamation. This is Dynamation. This is Dynamation. Dynamation will be brought to the screen for the first time in color with the release of Columbia Pictures' The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Dynamation is a new process which utilizes new technical and scientific advances in electronics and color to open up vast new vistas in motion picture entertainment. Some of this demonstration film is being projected in color, some in black and white. But the feature picture itself is entirely in color. Anything the mind can conceive can now be brought to the screen. As, for example, this scene from The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, in which the Princess Parisa, played by Catherine Grant, is reduced to doll size by the magician Sokura. 
the outflung arm of the sleeping princess actually shrinks before your eyes. This effect was achieved by taking the camera back slowly for 40 feet. To prevent the slightest movement of the arm, Catherine Grant was tied to a stake, remaining motionless and scarcely even breathing. The pillow on which the princess sleeps while the magician is shrinking her was 25 feet high and 40 feet wide. It occupied one full corner of a soundstage in Madrid, Spain, where most of the picture was filmed. The princess, originally life-size, was reduced by shooting from 70 feet away. Finally, the various components of the sequence were put together in the Technicolor optical printer in London. In Dynamation, producer Charles Schneer and special effects expert Ray Harryhausen have combined animation, normal human action, and trick photo effects in color. Principal actors like Kerwin Matthews, who plays Sinbad, Catherine Grant, Richard Eyer, the genie of the magic lamp, and Torrin Thatcher, the magician, are used in combination with three-dimensional figurines. The process has been years on the drawing boards and in actual testing with color film. In the seventh voyage of Sinbad, you will see the two-headed rock of the Arabian Nights Tales, a bird with the wingspread of a jet airliner. You will see it attack a shipload of sailors and carry Sinbad away in its talons. You will see a fight to a finish between a 50-foot cyclops and a 100-foot dragon. You will see an astonishing sword fight between Sinbad and a skeleton which comes to life at the magician's bidding. Every movement in this sequence was carefully plotted in advance with precise markings for Sinbad and for insertion of the skeleton. Matthews, playing Sinbad, was coached by Italian Olympic fencing coach Enzo Greco in endless rehearsals, during which the fencing master stood in for the skeleton. Later, the actor had to pantomime his every move without his opponent. Then the skeleton was inserted via dynamation to match the movements of the fencing instructor. The seventh voyage of Sinbad is the eighth wonder of the screen. I don't think there's that sense anymore with kids going to the theater. I don't think nothing really bowls them over anymore. Speaking of dinosaurs, this weekend that we're recording is when the Jurassic World came out. And my desire to see that is is so small, even though, you know, Jurassic Park, when I first saw it, yeah, you know, you get blown away by just kind of groundbreaking for what it is. Right. But it's just a CGI fest these days. I mean, it's so hard to get engaged with what's happening on screen when you know that about 90% of it isn't real. Right, yeah. There's a disconnect there, and I really have a problem. Yeah, it's exactly the the thing. You, you wonder where they'll get to the point where they don't need human actors anymore. They'll just CGI them, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're already CGI enhancing a lot of them, so why not, right? Yeah, yeah, really. You can't tell what's real anymore. <laughs> right. And as a filmmaker type... I really respond to knowing what's real and what went into it and knowing that somebody was on set sweating under the lights, you know? Yeah, it seems to me like the stunt people are probably out of business. I don't know if there's any active stunt people around anymore because all they got to do is CGI the stunts. Right. I mean, you see something like Mad Max Fury Road and the stunt work in that is amazing. But by all Hollywood standards, that shouldn't have been made. <laughs> that should have been done all CGI, right? Right. What's going on? It's unfortunate. But these poverty row horror movies, small cast, people doing stuff on set, in front of the camera, the effects, as sometimes bad as they were, it's got heart. Yeah. And you just respond to them. And I wish more people did respond to them. Do you get a good response when you show them on your show? 
usually the types of mail sometimes I get is, oh, I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Oh, good. That's and great. That's the sort of thing that I get. I think I probably appeal to an older audience that grew up around the same time I did. Not, not that I want to keep it limited to that, but people that are my age are going to, I think, identify with my show more than maybe a, a younger generation would for the very same reasons that I'm showing these movies is because I grew up seeing these. You know, they're not going to see movies from the 70s or mm-hmm. you're going to see this, uh, this old stuff that's just there and nobody brushes them off to show them anymore, which is a shame. There's just so many of them. I'm still discovering them. Even after all these years, I'm still finding stuff that, oh, God, this is a weird movie. I think I'll show this. We were talking about the Forgotten Horrors people, and their podcast alone has, I mean, they should have an affiliate set up with Classic Flicks because their podcast alone has driven me to pick up so many movies from obscure websites online that I've never even heard of. I don't think of people, when you think of the, the low-budget genre films, they think Bela Lugosi. But Karloff did a few, too. And even if they weren't straight-up horror movies, you're going to find something like Night World and just be amazed. I mean, here's Karloff doing something in a movie you've never seen before. Right, yeah. I showed uh, years ago the Crime of Dr. Crespi, which is one that has Dwight Fry in the hero's role. And this was after Dracula, but I think before Bride. Somewhere in between. Eric von Stroheim is the bad guy lead. But Dwight Fry is like the more heroic type in it. It's not one of those things where he's in it for like five seconds. He's in it. (laughs) He's in the movie. So discovering that was fun. That's, I think, one of the beauties of these poverty horror films is that when you think Lugosi, you think of the Universals. You think of Karloff, you think of the Universals. Dwight Fry, you think of Dracula and Frankenstein, that sort of thing. But these guys, and, and sometimes these gals, did so many other films for these lower-budget studios. Yeah, and uh, you don't know about them. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, a lot of them, unfortunately, got a raw deal. Poor Dwight Fry got a raw deal most of mm-hmm. his career, unfortunately. He, he really should have been a character actor in all kinds of movies. And he just didn't get the break. Yeah. And uh, as far as I know from his history, he was actually a very good comedic actor on stage. He never got much of a chance to do any of that. It's just really a shame. It is unfortunate. Somebody like a Dwight Fry, everybody knows, you know, Lugosi really had a tough time with the, the yeah. big studio system. But he had a chance to flourish in some of these lower budget films. I'm a big fan of things like, oh, obviously, The Devil Bat. Oh, yeah. I think that's my favorite, uh, one of his poverty role ones. It's The Devil oh, Bat. It's so good. Yeah, I love that movie. And, and he's so funny. On purpose, really, with a goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, it's real over-the-top, super melodramatic, but it's also just great. It's a a great film. I love that one. There was a Blu-ray put out of it not too long ago that I picked up, and it just looks gorgeous. It still holds up. People haven't seen The Devil Bat. Man, you are missing out. Assuming PRC, he did, I believe. I think the rest of them are the monograms, I believe. Yeah, I think he did did a lot of work monogram. I mentioned The Invisible Ghost a little bit ago. I like that one as well. I mean, he's good in that. I came to say goodbye, Jules. You never left me without saying goodbye. No fingerprints, no motive, nothing. But surely if a man was choked to death, there would be imprints on his throat. Why in the world do you stay in this place? We can't leave.
I mean, he may have made some lower budget movies and he may not have been paid very much, but he threw his all into it. Yeah. No, he didn't just walk through it. No. I mean, he could have. Yeah. And I'm sure the studio would have been just fine saying, well, we got Lugosi in the title. That's great. No, he really worked hard to make these characters interesting and fascinating. And in something like The Invisible Ghost, there's a little bit of pathos thrown in there, which is something that I think surface-level monster kids don't really expect out of him. It's really it's really good. It's just so many unusual things when you see them, uh, like Voodoo Man, when we showed that, some of the lighting in that movie, and but some of the weird like day and night stuff. It's like, it's like everybody's up in the middle of the night, <laughs> fully dressed <laughs> through the whole thing. And it's just like, you, you don't really notice things like that. Please stop thinking about them. You know, the sheriff will visit somebody's house in the middle of the night and goes, he's there all dressed up. <laughs> he's not like sleeping. <laughs> you know, it's fun stuff like that. And the fact of um, George Zuko running a gas station to me is just so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to drive up to the pump and have George Zuko pump my gas. I think that would be heaven for me. Uh, on the one hand, that'd be great. But on the other hand, I'd be like, um, wh- what movie did I just drive into? This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> Something terrible is going to happen. Make sure he just put gas in the car. You know? <laughs> yeah, especially the way he's staring at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've got, you mentioned Zuko. You've got Lugosi. You've got directors in these films I mean William Bodine did so many of these movies and for crying out loud he would go on to do things like Lassie I mean really yeah William one shot Bodine they call him yes I think the, some of the last ones he did and again I'm dating myself but I saw this in the theater was the double bill of uh, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter and oh man Billy the Kid versus Dracula he directed both of them Your strength, Jesse James. You will need it. Your bullets can't To see, oh wow, during the first run? I saw that first run in the matinee. Oh man, that would have been fantastic. And one of the things that's, that is still funny uh, in Billy Kid versus Dracula, they have the guy shooting Dracula with no effect, but they throw the gun at him and that knocks him out. I never could figure <laughs> that one. All this time, they've been doing the wrong thing. They shoot Dracula, they just throw something at him, he'll <laughs> knock him out. But I still like it. I mean, it's just, it's John Carradine. That's all I needed. It's John Carradine. You really have a hard time finding anything wrong with a John Carradine film. I mean, you mentioned Voodoo Man. He's in that. It's really hard to not enjoy what he brings to these lower-budget movies. Yeah, yeah. He's another one of these guys who really threw himself into it, especially in something like Voodoo Man, where he's all gay-eyed and lanky and angular. Just, he's fantastic. He searched for the beauty hidden in woman's heart. In his arms, many women were beautiful. But the flame of passion exposed the ugliness of their souls. Ugliness he destroyed. He searched on and on until he found Lucille, 
I'm going to tell you something that no other living person knows. Then maybe you'll understand how much I do love you. You think the owner of this cravat is a murderer? Very likely. Lucille! You couldn't do that to me. Not you, Lucille. And even if you could, I wouldn't let you. I would let you turn against me, too. Oh, no, not you, Lucille. Not you. Ah! Quickly! All right. Once again. Yeah, and then you'll see him in uh, a movie like Bluebeard, where he's very subdued. Yeah. That Edgar Ullman directed. And, you know, if you want to you know, see him in any kind of other movie, watch uh, The Grapes of Wrath, where he's Preacher Casey. And that's it's a wonderful part. Mm-hmm. He had range, and he just would use it in different ways in different places. I think people, sometimes when they talk about, at least people outside of who we normally hang out with, yeah. when we talk about a Lugosi, a Carradine, or something like that, they just kind of roll their eyes. It's, oh, you know, it's one of the boogeymen. Yeah. Or one of these guys, you know, Carradine had range. Lugosi had range. You know, Lon Chaney Jr. and Of Mice and Men is amazing. Oh, yeah. He should have got an Oscar for that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's the talent that these people had, the skill that they chose to share, whether they had any choice or not, I suppose, with us horror movie fans. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we're pretty blessed to have had these craftsmen perform for us. Even when you're like us and you appreciate the Legosis and the George Zuko's and Dwight Fry's, mm-hmm. and you start paying attention more to supporting players and you see the same faces over and over again. And that's kind of fun, too, when you get to know them. Like uh, One of my favorite uh, second-string villains is Roy Barcroft, who is in a lot of the Republic serials. He usually played the bad guy. Kind of a big, beefy guy. And I always enjoy him. <laughs> Whenever I see him, he shows up in a lot of places. He probably could have gotten away with being one of the Frankensteins later, because he's got kind of like the Glenn Strange build to him. Yeah, I could see that. He's got kind of he's got the face for it. I yeah, feel like the, the face and shoulders. Yeah. Oh yeah, he could have pulled that off. And then sometimes little coincidences that happen when you watch a movie. Um, there's a Republic movie called The Girl Who Dared, which is a spooky mystery. It's not supernatural or anything, but it's kind of a spooky mystery thing. And while I was watching it, uh, Kirk Allen was in it, who played Superman in the first serial. Nice. And then who else was in it? John Hamilton, who played Perry White in the TV series of Superman. So I've got two Superman people in the same movie, so that's kind of fun when you see that. I, God, I don't think I've seen that one either. That's worth watching. I think Amazon Instant Video has it. Darn, I have to watch another movie. Yeah. <laughs> but that is, that's a lot of fun, that movie. And Roy Barcroft's in that with them, too. Yeah. It's even more fun. Yeah, the Republic stuff is stuff that people don't know about very much. I think when you say Republic, the first thing I think are the serials. The but they did so much more than I mean, those are great. Yeah. Not, those are fantastic. I love them. But they did so much more. Well, Valley of the Zombies, we mentioned. And most people wouldn't know what that movie was. Yep. There's uh, Catman of Paris. Well, the girl who dared is the one I just said. The Lady and the Monster, which is the first Donovan's Brain Dad adaptation. Oh, that's right. There's Von Stroheim in it and Richard Arlen who was in The Island of Lost Souls. Well, the Vampire's Ghost is an interesting movie. Yeah, that one I did see. That one's pretty it's good. It's Abbott, yeah. That was um, one of the ones where uh, it was so strange because it's a vampire movie set in Africa, which is weird to begin with. And, you know, he wanders around in the uh, daylight with sunglasses. He gets away with that. <laughs> 
One of the interesting things about that, though, is there's a scene you probably remember where he's wounded by a silver spear, mm-hmm. and he asks to be put into the light of the moon to revive. I don't know if you remember that. but I do remember that, the, yeah. The moon heals him, which is uh, interesting, but it's not the first time that's happened in the literature. Uh, I believe that the original vampire story by Polidari had that happen in it. And I know that Varney the Vampire, that Penny Dreadful mm-hmm. long serial novel, had a part where he uh, laid down in the moonlight in order to revive. So whether or not they knew that or not, it was just a coincidence, but... It's an interesting way when you think sunlight destroys them, moonlight brings them back. It's nice to find these little connections. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's what's fun about it, especially folklore, you know. Mm-hmm. Some things you think are folklore, but they're not because Kurt Seidmack made them up in The Wolfman and things like that. You know? Right, which I love sharing that with people who are just now getting into these movies because everybody knows the pop culture of werewolves and maybe they know the poem and all that. It's like, no, that's all you know, Universal made that up with Kurt Seidmack. Yeah. And, I mean, it's amazing how that has impa- infiltrated our our horror culture, if not our pop culture. So. Right, yeah. I mean, people don't realize that in the novel Dracula, he walked around in the daylight. Right. I mean, that was one of the complaints people had when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out in the 90s, is that he's walking around. Well, yeah. in the novel, that's what he's doing. Yeah. The first time it was destroyed by sunlight was Nosferatu. Yep. And then it wasn't until John Carradine, I think, in the House of uh, Frankenstein died from sunlight. No, I'm sorry. I think, I think Son of Dracula is before that. I think so, but darn, I'll have to go back and rewatch to find out. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any more plans the rest of the weekend. I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing all the character actors. I really, I, you know, I'm one of those people that can watch old movies and name the character actors as I see them. Oh, there's Robert Strange. Oh, there's Morris Angram. Oh, there's Whit Bissell. You know, it's. Just, oh, Whit Bissell. Yeah, you know, it's just all over the place, and you, they're like old friends whenever they show up. Does that drive your girlfriend crazy? No, because she rarely ever watches any of mine. It's, it's kind of funny because she does the show, but she doesn't have a real driving interest in the movies themselves. She likes the classic ones. Okay. But she's the type that will just see it once and that's it. You know, there are people like that, believe it or not. I, I know. I know my wife's the same way. She'll watch something once and then that's move it. on. Like, what, to, ah. to me, that's like buying a record and listening to it once and then never playing the song again. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> The issue becomes, though, when you have so many, you can't listen to them. <laughs> yeah. My DVD collection's out of control right now. i got to do some slimming down. So, Yeah, I know. I know. It's uh, Some movies that I, I, I'll watch a couple of times and say, okay, I don't think I need to watch that one anymore. But most of, <laughs> most of them I keep. I'm sure I can rent Citizen Kane somewhere, no problem. Let's make some room for another Valley of the Zombies. Come on. Yeah, and of course, a lot of them now are, uh, you know, you can just see streaming anyway. Yeah. True. Divested myself of some movies that I know I can see anytime I want on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, streaming. But there's something about having the DVD in your hand. Sure. Uh, the physical media. There's something about having that. Even if it's a really crappy piece of box art, you've got the, the physical media. You've got the disc. And maybe you've got a special feature. Maybe. And God, boy, do I remember when VHS first came out. It was like a miracle to me. Yeah. Something unbelievable, and of course, the first thing you do is record everything. Yeah. Everything. Until you get over the uh, miracle of it, and then you start wondering, why am I recording the test pattern after 9 o'clock? Stuff like that. But um, it, it helps to grow up without that kind of accessibility that they have now. I think you appreciate uh, having it physically in your hand more when you uh, had to rely on the whims of the television station showing these things. 
Either that or we're hoarders. Well, that could be too. But yeah, you know. But I'm the sanest man who ever lived. <laughs> to quote Lugosi from the Raven, so. <laughs> I got to ask you, we talked about the devil bat earlier. Mm-hmm. The flying serpent. Right. Which one do you prefer better? Because they're, they're kind of sort of the same it's story. Yeah, yeah, it's a remake. remake. Oh, I love the devil bat much better. Okay. Because you, you were talking about George Zuko so glowingly, I wanted to, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I'm with you, but. The, what makes that movie is that it's George Zuko. Sure. But what's always funny to me about that movie, actually, we showed it on, on Dr. Drek and actually brought this up. The monster attacks anybody holding the feather, and George Zuko is running around holding the feather at the end. And when he sees, drop the feather, George, drop the feather, <laughs> it will go after you if you drop the feather. But he never does. He hangs on to it, and that's the end of him. Devil's Bat's Daughter. What are your thoughts on that one? I've only seen that once, and I saw it way, way, way long time ago. Okay. When I was a kid. And the weirdest thing about it was that it negates the Devil Bat. Right. And it's like, huh? This isn't a sequel. It's like, what's going on here? They don't think Lugosi was a bad guy in the first one? So it doesn't make sense to me. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Maybe I'd like it better now, but I remember it was disappointing when I saw it way back when. Yeah, it's such a missed opportunity. You could have done something really cool with it, but oh well. Kind of sort of a sequel, but not. So Yeah. Well, I mean, it took me a, a very long time before I got to see Mark of the Vampire. And, of course, that's got the famous cop-out ending that you go, why'd you do that for? You know? <laughs> Oh, that yeah. yeah. It's it's an unfortunate ending. If they had played into that earlier in the film, you know, maybe kind of alluded to it, it would be better. But that it's just a a clunker of an ending. I know, and I, I guess London After Midnight was the same way that it came from. That's what you hear, yeah. yeah. So it's I mean, like, we'll never know. Yeah, but. we'll never know. But because um, Lugosi in that, even though he doesn't say anything, is is just so magnetic. It's really spooky. It's actually better shot than Dracula was, even though it's the same director. Well, if you do an image search for Dracula online, Lugosi Dracula, you may end up stumbling across an image of Lugosi from that film. Yeah. With, with, with the bullet hole in his head. With the bullet hole in his head, yeah. Which is never that, explained because they cut that out. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Well, the things that they cut out sometimes is really baffling. Well, we were talking about Dracula earlier, and the stuff that they cut out of the original Dracula, I wish, they'd sh- I wish we could see it. I mean, uh, they just gloss right over Lucy, getting rid of Lucy. And I know mm-hmm. that that scene was shot. I've seen photos of it. The really goofy thing is the scene of uh, Renfield crawling towards the maid on the floor. He puts his hand out and it mm-hmm. fades away. You think that he's killed her or done something to her. And then a little while later, you see that she's fine. And you always wondered, what, what the hell happened there? And then you find out later, of course, through research that he was really going for a fly that was on her and trying to grab it. And they cut out that part of it. I don't know why. There, there are so many little things like that you hear about, even for the bigger productions like Dracula. Man, if we could go back and save that footage. Really? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make sense cutting that out. Yeah. They actually you know, made a scene that made no sense when they did that. Yeah, there's so many things like that, but what can you do? Going back to our archaeology <laughs> comparison, yeah. we could find some of this stuff. Uh, open up a can somewhere that hasn't been a film can that hasn't been opened since the '30s. I mean, um, yeah, you always wonder what the holy grail of lost stuff is. Yeah, There's so many of them. It could be one of them after midnight. Could be Lugosi's test footage for Frankenstein. Man, the spider sequence from King Kong. The spider sequence, yeah. The footage of Lugosi from Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, where he's speaking. You get to hear about it and read about it in old yeah. famous monsters, or you know, hear some tall tale about somebody supposedly finding it somewhere. But 
never does anything with it. Yeah. It's just too bad. I, I'm still hopeful someday something will turn up. But and there's always rumors about somebody that does have London after midnight, but you never know. I mean, uh, the Edison Frankenstein was thought lost forever. And the way they found that was kind of odd. I yeah. mean, it just kind of came out of the blue. I, I don't think anybody expected the guy who had it to have it. Yeah. And the guy who had it was kind of an odd duck anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really until he uh, kicked off that people could really see it without his name being splashed all over it. Right, yeah, yeah. Man, we could talk for hours about this stuff, man. I, I am so glad that I've got you on the show. Oh. We're going to have to have you back, man. I mean, oh, yeah. th- I suspect we could probably turn this into like a month-long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we haven't even gotten to Frankenstein's daughter or she-demons or anything yet. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, Frankenstein's daughter is great. Uh, and I just saw the guy that played him, too, on an old Perry Mason episode. See, that's one of those things. Oh, there's Oliver Frankenstein, and Perry Mason's going to defend him. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he'll get off then, right? You'll, yeah. He'll be okay if Perry Mason's I know he was off. innocent then. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He's innocent. Perry Mason's going to defend him. <laughs> one of the best things about producing Monster Kid Radio for me is that I've met so many incredible people that I now call my friends. Michael, I'm going to start calling you my friend. Thank you. The downside is that while I've made so many great friends through the podcast, they're in different parts of the world. So I can't yeah. just go hang out and watch a movie with them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, having the show has put me into contact with so many different Monster Kids and fans of this type of thing. It really is my tribe. You people are my people. And I'm so glad I found you guys through my show. So thank you for being patient with me and sending me some of your movies. I definitely want to have you back on the show down the line. Maybe we should pick a movie to just really dive into and pick apart at some point, maybe later this year, man. That would be great. I never run out of subjects. I I suspect that we'll have a lot to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Again, Sideshow Cinema? Sideshow Cinema, yeah. com. That's the website. I'm on Facebook three different ways. I'm on Facebook as myself, Michael Leggy. Dr. Drek is on Facebook, and Sideshow Cinema is on Facebook. So you can also find links that way. I'll make sure there's a link to your website in the show notes. I think people would be doing themselves a service if they were to pick up a couple of your movies. Uh, I love Devin Straw. Like I said, The Dungeon of Dr. Drek is a hoot. It's a lot of fun, too. Uh, and I really, I found myself laughing out loud quite a bit at it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I just, it's fun. I loved it. So make more movies, man. Oh, there's plenty of them out there that I've made. They're all on Amazon. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I did. I was looking up your name. It's like, oh, there, there's Michael Lynch. I've got more movies to watch again, darn. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite movie title is where we did a Giallo spoof. My mouth lies screaming. That's the title of it. That's a great title. It makes no sense. I love it. <laughs> That's a great title. <laughs> All right, on. Well, we'll make sure people can get to your website, Michael. Thank you for spending some time with me on My Circuit Radio. Thank you. Like Michael said, you can find him on Facebook three different ways or go over to our website, monsterkidradio.net and follow the link over to the Sideshow Cinema website. That's sideshowcinema.weebly. It's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. Here, you can order copies of all of his movies. You can also get copies of the movies that he's hosted as Dr. Drek with Moner and the rest of the Dr. Drek posse, gang, family. You know what? You know what? You just need more horror hosts on your DVD shelf. So there you go. (laughs) 
Just three years ago, the Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon, stood on the brink of closing down for good. With 35mm film going away, the only option for survival was to make the expensive conversion to digital projection. Now, while many theater owners saw only the expense, the team at the Joy saw the possibilities. They saw that the Joy needed passion and personality, and they believed that couples and families should be able to see a movie without spending a fortune. Today, the Joy is a viable business once again and a vital part of life in the Tigard and podcasting community. But now, with a significant increase in rent looming, the team at the Joy is turning to the community to help pay off digital projection and opening costs once and for all. We all know that asking for contributions isn't easy. The Joy's owners have been paying down these costs since opening, but becoming debt-free is the one way the Joy is sure to stay in business for years to come. With this campaign and with your help, the Joy Cinema hopes to raise $50,000. The Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon is important to me, Derek M. Cook, because the man who runs the show there, Jeff Punkrock Martin, loves the kinds of movies that I love. So much so that he's always bringing in classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. Of all the theaters that I've gone to for a Monster Kid Radio crash, the Joy Cinema is the one that we've gone to the most. Jeff has asked me to introduce several films there in the past. Every time I go, even if I'm not getting up on stage and talking about the movie that we're about to watch, I always have a really good time. And I'm not just talking about watching the movie. I'm talking about the entire movie-going experience, up to and including chatting with Jeff before the film, or maybe even sneaking out to refill at the concession stand and talking to him a little bit more about whatever movie we're watching, whatever monster movie posters he has on the wall, whatever. Jeff's a good guy. The Joy Cinema is a great theater, and I want to see it succeed. The Indiegogo campaign ends next month. There are several amazing rewards available for contributing to the Indiegogo campaign, starting with a heartfelt thanks and ending with what they're calling the lifer. A lifetime pass for free admission. Now, I know that people who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily in the Tigard, Oregon area. So you might be asking yourself, what's in it for you? Well, one, you get to help an amazing local business keep running and fighting the good fight and showing monster movies on a regular basis. And depending on what podcast you're listening to right now, 1951 Down Place is the Hammer Films podcast I co-produced with Casey Criswell and Scott Morris. The Joy Cinema has shown some Hammer films during their Weird Wednesday series. If you're listening to this on the Mimiverse Monthly, well, the Joy Cinema has screened The Giant Spider. In fact, The Giant Spider had its Pacific Northwest premiere at The Joy, and I'm talking with Jeff about bringing in some other Christopher R. Mim movies in the future. The bottom line is this. The Joy Cinema, they're one of the good guys. They could use our help. You can learn about them at their website at thejoycinema.com or go to indiegogo.com and just do a search for Joy Cinema. They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Ford Johnson as the Walking Dead. Turn off your electro gun! No! No! Stop him, Dad! I can't get it! It's Jeff! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? 
For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. I've been talking a lot about Barbara Seal being an announced guest at the Living Dead Horror Convention here in Portland, Oregon, in November at the Oregon Convention Center. November 13th through the 15th, specifically. Well, Barbara Seal is not the only connection to classic horror that's going to be at this convention. Now, now I'm privy to a few things. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, and besides, it's not been made official yet, so you're going to have to keep listening to Monster Kid Radio for more updates about guests that haven't been announced yet. But you know who was announced? Click on the guests link over there at livingdeadcon.com, and you're going to see somebody by the name of Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie's not an actress from classic monster movies, but she did play a horror host. She played Vampira in the 1994 film Ed Wood. Now, the movie Ed Wood, I think we all can say, is not historically, factually accurate. However, it does give us a nice fairy tale vibe of what Hollywood might have been like through the eyes of Ed Wood and company. So, it's still relevant to Monster Kid Radio, and Lisa Marie is going to be at the convention. I would love to chat with her a little bit about her work as Vampira. Did she know who Vampira was before taking on the role? Did she watch horror movies? Did she have a horror host herself growing up? I'd love to ask her all of these questions, and I hope I can at the Living Dead Horror Convention. Again, that's livingdeadhorrorcon.com. It's happening November 13th through the 15th at the Oregon Convention Center. If you're going to be in the area... I'd love to meet you, so track me down. I'm hard to miss. I'll be the big guy in the Monster Kid Radio shirt, looking like he's having the most fun in the room. Oh, and I'll have my portable recorder with me. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Michael Leggy for being part of the show. So I did say last time that he's going to be back, and he is. He and I have chatted about a movie online, about a movie that we're going to talk about on Monster Kid Radio, probably later this year. So stay tuned for that. But if you need more Dr. Drek in your life before that happens, again, sideshowcinema.weebly.com or follow the links over at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. We've got a list of every song that's appeared here on the show, dating all the way back to episode number one, with links to the bands, sometimes their albums, and it's all good music. We have a link to our Facebook group where you can get involved with conversations with other Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes, so that's there for you. We also have a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show that way while getting yourself some sweet rewards along the way. We have a link to our stores. We have an Amazon store where you can pick up a couple of movies or books. Amazon kicks a couple of bucks our way when you do that. We also have a Zazzle shop where you can pick up some postcards and even an awesome bottle of the sauce of Yucca Flats. Go check it out. Our contact information is over there as well. We have our email address. It's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5M. KR. If you have any thoughts about anything that we talked about in this episode or any other episode of Monster Kid Radio, or just want to chat it up, well, you know how to get a hold of us. Thank you again for downloading Monster Kid Radio and being part of the audience without the audience. I mean, I'm just a guy yelling at a microphone about monster movies, which I would probably do anyway. It's just a little less weird that there are people actually listening to me. So thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate it. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, you know, I've got a few different things in the can 
So I'm not 100% sure what we're going to talk about. You're just going to have to come back. Keep it locked in at monsterkidradio.net or iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to the show. I might not know exactly what's happening next week, but the week after that, Scott Morris is coming back to the show and he's bringing some damn dirty apes with him. We're going to take a look at another Planet of the Apes film. This time we're taking a look at 1970s Beneath the Planet of the Apes. And I wanted to give you a heads up about it now because if you have TCM... Turner Classic Movies is showing Beneath the Planet of the Apes on Tuesday, July 14th in the morning. So set your DVRs or I guess VCRs if you still have one. I'm guessing TCM is going to show an HD transfer just because there's one out there. I mean, I've got it on Blu-ray. It was a lot of fun to watch the movie and it was even more fun to chat about it with my old friend Scott Morris. If you want to warm up your ears to the dulcet tones of Scott's voice between now and then, well, check him and his wife out over at Disney, Indiana. Dot com, where they produce one of the best Disney-related podcasts on the internet. Okay, we're finally at the end, and you know how I know that? Because I'm about to tell you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, The Wedge. That belongs to the band Mr. Neutron. You can find it on their album Red Triangle, and you can find Mr. Neutron on Facebook or Amazon. Go show them some Monster Kid Radio love, would you? Talk to everybody next week.